Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Church family, it's so good to be together today to worship our great God. I am so glad you're here. Welcome everybody here at our Franklin campus. Welcome to our online campus. So glad we could join in together today. And welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called Masterclass. And we're doing a masterclass. We're doing a masterclass on the book of Romans. And I love it. I mean, it is so good. And in fact, if you've ever wanted to understand the Bible, this is the place for you, right? Diving into Romans, man, going deep and seeing what God's Word has to say. It's the gospel. It's the good news for all of us. And that's what we're seeing today. So Romans found in the New Testament was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And Rome at that time was the world power, right? The Roman Empire was over. Paul's writing around 57, 58 AD from Corinth. And, and Rome, man, it held everything. Probably two to four million people living there at the time. But it was the hub. I mean, it was the wealth, the opulence of the Roman Empire. The Caesars were all there. The Roman Colosseum. I mean, it had it all, right? And it was the political center for everything that was happening. Um, but it was also a godless place, right? You know, Roman mythology, and they worshiped these pagan gods, and the things they were doing was just horrific. It was, it was kind of like what we said the first week, right? It was like Las Vegas on steroids meets Washington, D.C., right? I mean, that's what it was back then. I mean, it was the place... People went and did all kinds of things. And so you had Roman orgies, right? And what they would do to, to children and to women. It was, just, it was just crazy. It was just chaos and slaves and all that was happening there in Rome. But it was this political center. And so you had these people who had come down at Pentecost, given their lives to Christ, and gone back and planted a church in Rome. And so the church in Rome is growing. It's thriving. And so Paul is like, I can't wait to get there. I want to go and visit. And he writes this letter sends them to encourage them and to challenge them. And it's this beautiful, deep doctrine and theology. And then he kind of turns the corner and says, this is how you live it out. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And so we've been in Romans 1, 2. Today we're in Romans 3. And Romans 1, 2, and 3, it's really like a courtroom scene. It's like the Apostle Paul, who is brilliant, right? And he, he brings all of humanity in the courtroom. And we have to stand before God and have to give an account before God. And so you just see this unfold. Now, as Americans, we love a good courtroom scene, right? We do, right? Judge Judy, I mean, one of the highest daytime movies, tea time shows, people watch People's Court. There's all kinds of Steve Harvey Court. I mean, like, there's all kinds of 
shows that are all about this courtroom, right? You got this legal. Uh, my girls, they love that movie, Legally Blonde, right? You know, so you got this courtroom scene, you know, and all these things. If you ever watched A Few Good Men, you may remember Tom Cruise, right? You can't handle the truth. You know, it's this moment like, ah, you know, it's this courtroom scene. And did you know at Harvard, for the first 100 years at Harvard, they studied, every student had to study the book of Romans. Every student had to study Romans. And first, Harvard was started as a Christian school, number one, okay? Harvard, Yale, all the Ivy Leagues were started as Christian schools, centers for higher learning, right? Kind of went off the rails a little bit, different track there. But, uh, you know, yeah. So, but I was reading a Washington Post article just a couple of weeks ago that talked about at Harvard now, Romans is making a comeback. And all these students now in Ivy League schools are starting to read Romans and they're reading the Bible. Why? Not just for the legal arguments now, but they're reading it for the spiritual impact because they know there's got to be more to life. And so you see this, but you're seeing this courtroom unfold in Romans 1, 2, and 3. And in Romans 1, it's like he brings the Gentiles in and the Jews are going, yeah, look at that godlessness, right? And Romans 1 just lays it out. Look at all the sinfulness in the world today. And you're just reading this list. You're like, whoa, that's our culture. That's our society, right? And you're kind of finding yourself going, well, I struggle with that. You know, different things in there. It's the Gentiles. It's people who are non-Jewish. Well, then you get to Romans 2, and he like brings all the Jews in. and goes, okay, you, you trusted in your self-righteousness? Let's see how far it's getting you. What about your mind? What about your thoughts? What, and you're all sinful. And then he comes to Romans 3, and it's the closing argument. And Romans 3, it's like, here he is, right? You can't handle the truth kind of part. So if you have a Bible with you today, man, I'd love for you to open with me to Romans chapter three. It is powerful and beautiful all at the same time. And I'm so glad you're here because God's word is alive and God's gonna speak to each of us today, I pray. So Romans chapter three, pick up verse one, New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels all about Jesus. And then you got Acts, the early church, and then Romans. And that begins the Pauline epistles. But Romans chapter three, verse one. And Paul here in verses one to eight, he's kind of thinking about all the questions, like a good defense attorney, all the questions that they're gonna have. And he answers those questions. So he says, well, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? We'll get more into circumcision next week, but that was the defining moment for the Jews. And so the Jews are like, well, We've kept the law. We're trying to be good. We're trying to be righteous. He's like, well, what value is there? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. So he's like, well, it's good that you were Jewish. You had the Old Testament. You were entrusted. You know what is right and what is wrong. What if some, another argument, were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being be a liar. He's like, are you going to listen to man's opinion or are you going to listen to what God says? Are you going to look at who God is and what truth is? <laughs> As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our righteousness or our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust is bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? So some people are going, well, if my sinning makes God look better, right? If my sinning, my unrighteousness makes God look more righteous, then 
Why am I condemned? Shouldn't I go on sinning? Why not say as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. And he says, their condemnation is just. No, you don't go on sinning. No, you don't do that. You don't turn from God. God is truth. There's got to be another way. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So Paul's going, here's the closing argument. I've shown you the Gentiles. I've shown you the Jews. Nobody's righteous. Everybody has sinned. Everybody's fallen short. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, right? It's not just the things that they're doing on the inside. It's also the outside, the things that are happening. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Every one of us is gonna be held accountable to God. We all have to stand before God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So when he's talking about the law, he's talking about the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, right? Think about the Ten Commandments. You know, no other gods before God, right? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Good job doing that one. Way to go, right? No stealing, no murder, right? All of these things. Do not commit adultery. And people were going, I'm doing pretty well, right? I haven't killed anybody lately, right? I haven't stolen anything, right? I mean, I'm at church. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus goes, well, if you've hated somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. Like, uh-oh. Now he's going to my motives. Now he's going to my thoughts. You know, like, uh-oh, right? If you've lusted after someone, right? All of a sudden now you're committing adultery. You're like, uh-oh, right? Now all of a sudden you go, okay, we're all guilty. We've all guilty. And that's what Paul concludes. Every one of us, Gentile, Jew, all of us stand guilty before God. And then comes verse 21. Praise God for verse 21. A lot of people will tell you this. A lot of biblical commentators will tell you 21 through 26 is the most beautiful text in all of Scripture. There's people who will say 21 through 26 is the most beautiful text in all of literature. It is incredible. Paul just lays out this whole sin, right? You go in Romans 1, I mean, just total depravity. Sin, 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 sin. And then he turns the corner in verse 21. It's like if you've ever bought a diamond, right? You go there to the jeweler and the jeweler like is picking out diamonds. The jeweler like pulls out the black velvet, the darkest velvet. And so when you put that diamond on that black velvet, boom, it is beautiful. It is stunning. And Paul just lays out, here's the bad news, right? But verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. He's like, you know what? There's the law, but everything was pointing to this moment. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so it has to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He's like, there is an answer. There is an answer that Jesus atoned for our sins. Where then is the boasting? You know, none of us can boast, right? We've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. Is it excluded because of what? Law? The law that requires works. No, because the law that requires faith. Faith. We don't boast under the law. We boast in Jesus, in faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is it God, the God of the Jews only? Praise God not, right? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Thank you, Lord. Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all, exclamation point. Rather, we uphold the law. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. That is good news. It's the best news ever right there. That God is with us. That God is for us. Even in our sin, even when we messed up, God didn't give up on us. God didn't give up on you. Praise be to God. Hey, if you're taking notes today, here's some things I love for you to write down as we unpack this chapter. It is so good. And so if you've got a worship guide or maybe you have your masterclass journal, if you want to take notes in here, and I hope you're using this during the week. If you don't have one, love for you to grab one out there at the store. But man, it is so good as we're diving in during the week as well. If you're online, you go to the Rolling Hills app and there's a place to fill in blanks there as well. Look at this. We all have a problem and it's called sin. We all have a problem. That's the whole thing that Paul's talking about, Romans 1, 2, and 3. We have a problem called sin. There is, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. No one, right? Not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa. We, we can't do it on our own. We've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. Just search our hearts and search our minds. And you see, Romans presents the bad news before the good news. A lot of times we don't want the bad news, right? We just want the good news. But we have to understand that there's a problem. We have to understand that there's a problem in the world, right? There's a problem in the hearts and lives of all of us. It's the bad news and the good news. Sin impacts our standing with God. And this is why God is so intense about this, right? Romans, the theme of Romans is the righteousness of God. That God is holy, that God is just. In him, there is no sin. In heaven, there's no sin, right? And so you're not gonna be sinning there in heaven. And so sin has to be dealt with, right? Sin has to be dealt with. It impacts our relationship with God. Sin also impacts our own life. You know, God is our heavenly father. He sees what sin does to us. And every one of us can say, yeah, Sin has impacted my life, right? There's times that I've said something out of anger. There's times I've 
done something that I shouldn't. And I'm just like, oh, why did I do that? And I'm still dealing with the consequences of that in my life. But sin also impacts our relationship with others. <laughs> impacts our relationship with others. And maybe you think about right, your own life or your own story, your own friendships or your roommates. Or maybe you think about you know, somebody who's done something to you and you see that. But it comes down to sin. And that, that's what Paul wants to, us to see there. That we live in this broken, fallen world. You know, you go back to Genesis 1. And in the very beginning, in the very beginning when God created the world, Adam and Eve, it was perfect. They were in right relationship with God, right relationship in their marriage, right relationship with one another. Then Genesis 3, they sin. God, we don't want to do it your way. We want to do it our way. And sin enters in. And what do they do? Instead of admitting it, right, what do they immediately do? They, they try to hide from God, right? God comes, it's like, Hey guys, where are you? And they're like, he won't find us under this bush. You know, it's like, really? He created it all. You know, it's like, but we do that. We're like, oh, it's fine. We just kind of cover it up in our lives. You know, oh, I'm okay. You know, we don't want to admit it. We don't want to talk about it. Or what else did they do? They blamed, right? Adam's like, well, she did it. I mean, she was the one who gave me the fruit. Wasn't my fault, right? You know, and then she's like, oh, that was a snake. It was a serpent, right? It was over there. And, and we just kind of keep pushing the blame down and down and down. And yet we still do the same thing when it comes to sin. We try to deflect it. We try to say it's not our fault. We try to say it's somebody else. I don't know if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket, but hypothetically, like let's just say maybe, like if you got a speeding ticket and you went to court, I don't know how it goes, but I think maybe this would be kind of how it goes, right? You would have to stand there, right? And there's a judge and the judge is sitting there and they're looking at you and somebody else you know, it's called up and the judge goes, well, what, you know, how do you plea? And they're like, well, it's driving 100 miles an hour, right? And you're like, guilty. And you're like, yeah, buddy, you're guilty. You know, that's like, I don't, you're looking at your ticket. You're like, I'm only 10 miles over. That's not bad, right? I'm pretty good, you know? And then somebody else, they didn't have their seatbelt buckled or somebody else ran a stop sign. And you're kind of thinking, I'm pretty good. And then you get called up there to the judge and you're having to stand there, right there. And in that moment, they say, how do you plea? Guilty or non guilty, and you're looking at it going, I'm guilty. <laughs> but I'm not as bad as them, right? You know, I'm guilty. And I think we have to come to that point in our lives, we go, oh man, I, I mean, I did it. There's sin. And I've got to deal with it. Something's got to deal with it in my life and in our world today. Now here's the thing, the good news, right? God is the one who gives grace. God is the one who gives grace grace. And the great news of all of Scripture, when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't give up on them. God set in motion a plan to redeem mankind. So, but, verse 21, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. God's making a way. Praise God for the buts in the Bible. All right, you know, praise God for the buts in the Bible, right? I mean, because if, man, otherwise you'd be like just stuck. We're stuck in our sin. We're stuck in our total depravity. But God. And you can think about that in any situation in your life. Life looks overwhelming. Life looks like, oh, it's just getting the best of me. But God. With God, it's never the end of the story. With God, there is more. Hold on to that truth. Verse 21, right? Romans 3.21 starts the second section of Romans. You know, there's four sections of Romans. So we've been in the first section, section one, 
right? The wrath of God against sin, Romans 1, 2, and then to chapter 3, verse 20. But in Romans 3, 21, it starts the second section, the grace of God. The grace of God, and that runs all the way through chapter 8. And so what you're going to see is this goodness and this grace of God, because the fact is we're either under sin or we're under grace. Every single one of us, every single person who lives, you're either living under sin or you're living under grace. And there is a God out there who's inviting us. There is a God out there who's drawing us to himself. And that's why you go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, right? Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that all men are without excuse. Paul's writing there to the Romans. He's like, guys, look, God is at work even in the midst of the depravity of Rome. God's moving. God's working. Lives are being changed. I remember years ago, I was in Moscow, and uh, I was at Red Square, and I was with a pastor there, and uh, he had been in jail under communism, I mean, just for his faith, and uh, just an incredible man of God. And I'm standing there at Red Square, and he says, Pastor Jeff, think about this. He said, Mother Russia, we have more natural resources than any country in the world. I mean, we've got more oil, we've got more minerals, we've got more wood, we've got more natural resources, and yet we're one of the poorest countries in the entire world. Why? Because we tried to take God out of our country. Under communism, right, we just wanted to remove God, take God out of our country. He goes, but I got to tell you, God is still at work. And we're seeing that in the church. God is moving. God is working. He said, keep praying for us. Keep praying for us because God's at work. And that's what God's doing in every person's life. And even though sin is calling, there is a God who's drawing us. There's a God who's inviting us. And that's the good news of the gospel. Look, the hardest part for anyone is admitting we need help. That's the hardest part, right? You come to this crux of the gospel here in chapter three, right? Admitting, admitting we need help. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. God's drawing us to himself and God's saying to all who believe, right? Admitting is the first step to healing. If you ever go to counseling, right? I mean, the first thing they're gonna say is, you know, tell me about this issue. And, and admitting you have an issue, right? I'm here for a reason. And, and whether you admit, man, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I need help. Whether you admit, right, we're having problems in our marriage, we need help. Um, dealing with gambling, I need help. And if you don't ever admit it, I mean, you could go to counseling, but, but, but you're going to go back to that same life until you get to the point to go, and I, I need help. I've got to admit that there's an issue in my life. And yet that's the first step of healing. That's where healing comes in. That's where God begins to work. That's when God restores marriage and redeems your heart and your life. But admitting is that first step to healing. Pride is the mother of all sins. And the Bible tells us that because that's what keeps us from God. We become arrogant. Oh, God, I don't need you. I can fix this myself. It's the American way, right? I'm going to be strong. I'm going to fight through it. I'm going to get better. I'm going to fix my marriage. I'm going to fix my family. I'm going to fix my kids. I'm going to fix my job. I'm going to fix my career. I'm going to fix my dream. I'm going to do it myself. I don't need anybody else. And God, I don't need you. And that's what happens for so many. It's this pride and this arrogance that comes in. But the fact is this, we can't fix ourselves. We can blame others. 
And we can say, well, I got that ticket because I was late, you know, and I was trying to get home to get my kids to soccer. I got my ticket because I was this. We could try to blame everybody else, but we can't fix ourselves. And when we begin to get to that point, that's when life change happens. And for every one of us who's a Christ follower today, you can go back in your story and you can start to see that. You can go, oh man, that was me. I got to that point and I realized in my own sin, I needed God. If you're a parent here today or a grandparent, I just want to encourage you. You know, when your kids are like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, or 11, they start asking spiritual questions, just start listening for that. Start listening for when they're broken over their sin. You know, before they would do things, right? They would just go take the, some other kid's toy and they would just walk off and they wouldn't feel bad about it. They would be like, oh, okay, whatever. They'd get bad, they got caught and they would have to give it back. But there comes a point when they pull their sister's hair, right? And then all of a sudden, you're like, that's wrong. You're hurting her, you know? And, and then they go, oh, oh, why did I do that? And when they start to realize their need for God, when they start to realize their own sin, that's when you go, hey, let me talk to you about Jesus. Let me help you in that. You know, go to the baptism class. We have a baptism class here at Rolling Hills. It's amazing. Our family ministry team is incredible. I've taken all my kids We've gone to the class together, right? And we work through a workbook together and you watch God work in their lives and they come to the point of accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior and being baptized. But that's for every one of us. And in those spiritual moments, don't miss it. Don't be a parent and just kind of step back and go, yeah, you're wrong, you're wrong. You know, step into those and help them process that. Because the fact is this, everyone needs a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. We all do. Here's our scripture memory verse for this week. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person. We've all sinned. And the Greek word for sin, for all, is all. That is. You can go and do our commentary studies and it's amazing. It's all. I mean, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you keep going right here in Romans 3, Right, verse 23, where he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a comma, it's not a period. It says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There's another all there, right? All have sinned and all are justified freely by his grace. Isn't that the good news? You know, the word justified, it means this just as if I never sinned. Just as if I never sinned. Here's what happens. You're in that courtroom. You're standing before the judge, and he says, guilty. Boom, the gavel goes down, and Jesus' hand comes up. I'll pay the price. I'll take their place. The wages of sin has to be paid. I'll pay it. And now when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the sin and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That is good news. Look, Romans chapter three, it's the start of what's called the Roman road. It's called the Roman road. And you're gonna see this in this master class. You're gonna see this unfold. But there are these steps. If you're sharing Christ with a friend, you're sharing Christ with your child, you're sharing Christ with your roommate or, or somebody at work, you know, there's these verses right here when it starts in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. 
right? For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life, right? Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates. There's that but. But God, right there. But these verses we're gonna look at in the weeks to come. But you can put them on your camera roll. You can just have them with you sometime and just go, hey, I wanna talk to you about Jesus. Look, the big question everyone asks is, how can I be right with God? For all of history, that's what everybody asks. Everybody today, how can I be right with God? I know I'm gonna stand before God one day. I know I'm gonna have to give an account of my life one day. How can I be right with God? And every other major world religion is man trying to get to God. Every other major world religion is I can fix myself, I can be good enough, maybe I'll be reincarnated in something good, maybe you know, God right there will, will say, have mercy on me. But Christianity is not about what we do, it's about what he's done. Christianity is the only one that says, listen, God comes to you and Jesus takes your place. That's the incredible truth. You know, it was the early 1800s and there was a guy named Charles Finney. And Charles Finney was a lawyer in New York, a very successful lawyer. And he gives his life to Christ. He discovers the goodness and the grace of God. And Charles Finney just becomes on fire for the Lord. He becomes an evangelist. And so because he's been working in the in law up there in New York, he has all these lawyer friends and everybody else. So he's preaching one night at a church and he invites all of his friends. And so the church is packed out with all these lawyers there in New York. And in 1830 in Rochester, New York, Charles Finney's up there preaching. And the chief justice of the New York Supreme Court is sitting there in the back. And the chief justice will later say, he says, as he was talking, I felt like God was talking right to me. And I realized I needed Jesus. He said, but I thought in my mind, listen, I'm the chief justice of the New York Supreme Court. I can't go down there in front of everybody else. You know, I can't do what everybody else is doing, right? And then he thought, why not? I need a savior like everybody else. And so while Charles Finney is preaching, 1830, the chief justice of the New York Supreme Court comes down the aisle and comes up on stage and stands right next to him. And Charles Finney looks over at him and he says, I want that. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And he commits his life to him right there. And over the next 12 months, over 100,000 people in New York gave their lives to Christ. There was a transformation that took place in the judicial system that spread throughout the entire United States because God transforming one life. God's, God's doing something big just like that right here. You know, at Rolling Hills, we're seeing so many people giving their lives to Christ. I love when people stand up in baptism. In baptism, people's taking that step of faith. And I just want you to see some of these pictures. Just this is life change. This is people saying, hey, I want you to know what God's doing in my life. I want you to see what God's doing in my family. I want you to know what God's doing in my heart. Right, as men stand up, as women stand up, as children, as families, and making that commitment to the Lord. And that's where we're seeing God move in such a mighty way. Praise be to God. That's the good news of Romans chapter three. What God wants to do in your life, in your life for his glory. Hey guys, look at this. Therefore, do away with the sinful nature. You know, when you are redeemed, when you are transformed, when you are a disciple, right? then you don't want to go back to the old life, right? When you stand before the judge and the judge says, hey, you're guilty of that speeding, you don't go back out and go speeding, right? You learn a lesson from that. 
So he says, look, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Now we want to live God's way, not our way. We want to live for the things of God. Therefore, once saved, don't go back to your old life. Don't go back to your old life. Maybe that old life, right? Pornography had a hold on you, man. Maybe that old life, it was all about anger and bitterness and getting my own way and that pride and that arrogance. When you're saved, when you're transformed, God begins to cleanse you. It doesn't mean you don't mess up every now and then, but God begins to work in your heart and your life and people go, there's something different about you. You're like, yeah, it's the grace of God. (laughs) That's what's different. Think about what our sin cost Jesus. Think about what our sin cost Jesus. When Jesus stood up and said, I'll take their place, right? He went to a cross to pay the price for our sins. So confession and repentance is extremely important to our spiritual maturity. And that's why Paul ends chapter three going, hey guys, uphold the law. And when you confess, when you see some things in your life and that pride, that arrogance, that bitterness, that resentment, those things that are taking root where the enemy's coming in and trying to get a hold of you, just say, get behind me, Satan. I'm in Jesus now. So let's always be growing in the grace and the love of God. Always be growing in the grace and the love of God, what God's doing for you. This morning, we have the incredible privilege to share communion together, the Lord's Supper. I can't think of a better way, right, as we conclude this section, Romans 1, 2, and 3, the wrath of God than to celebrate the grace of God. And if you're online, you can go into the kitchen and you can get some bread and You can go in there and get some crackers, some wine, some grape juice, as we share right here. And here in Franklin, hopefully you picked up a a red sheet of paper, and there's a pen that should be right around you. But here's what I want to ask you to do. We're going to come today to the tables. There's two tables on the side. There's tables in the back. And the tables are covered in black tablecloth. I want you just to write down one sin. Don't put your name on it. This is you and God. Maybe something you've struggled with in the past that God's been healing you or maybe there's something you're struggling with now. And I want you just to write that down and then I want you to bring it and drop it on the table. Drop it on that black velvet and pick up that beautiful diamond, that beautiful grace, that beautiful mercy, communion. 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 The grace and the goodness of God as he paid a price for you. And come back to your seats with gratitude in your heart. Come back to your seats with love because of what God's doing in your heart and your life right now. So Father, here we are, your disciples. Meet us in this moment, God, as we come to your table. As we leave our sin, as we receive your grace, as we have gratitude in our hearts for the sacrifice of Jesus and the beauty of what you're doing right here, right now. In the name of Jesus, we confess and respond to you. Amen. Amen. You're invited to write and you're invited to come. Take the elements and bring them back to your seat. Let's respond to him. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.